You know we're having communion service today, don't you? You saw that. See, some people are very discerning. Do you know some people can't discern anything at all? Here you are as a child of God and still struggling in your Christian life because of a few things you may not be able to discern. We're going to talk about that this morning. I want you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to run through a few things. Because there's something that the Apostle Paul wanted the children of God to be. Now they trusted the Lord. They're God's children. They're going to heaven. But things were not right. All was not well in the Corinthian church. So he made the statement that he wanted to present them blameless to the Lord. Now in Christ, we are blameless. In Christ, we're holy. In Christ, we're perfect. But when we stand before the Lord and God rewards us according to what we did in the body. So, yes, we are in Christ, but we're also in this body, in this world. And there's things that God wants us to know. Because if we know them, we might do them. So look there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and notice in verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ. That means you've been made pure and holy by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've been called a saint. You are set apart. You're holy. Greek word hagiazo, meaning to be made pure and holy, sanctified, set apart. You belong to the Lord. Now that's how God sees you. So he also says there in the last part of that verse, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Christ. Now, this is important to know your position that you have in Christ. You see, these Christians were not living like saints. They had a problem with carnality. You say, what does that mean? Carnal means you're saved, but you're living in the flesh. You're living as though you're not saved. You're living like a lost man. It was interesting yesterday or the other day, I had a guy call me up on the phone. He says, now I'm, I'm getting this and it's really helped me about this salvation thing. So now he says, I am so glad that I'm going to heaven because now I can go out here and rape all the women I want, molest all the little children that I want. And I discerned that he was pulling my leg. And I said, sir, I don't believe that what you're saying is true and that you don't really believe that. And I says, um, you're forgetting what God says about his children. See, trusting Christ as your Savior, yes, we do get to go to heaven when we die. But there is a responsibility that God has placed upon his children. And you can live as you please, but you cannot live as you please and get away with it. So I want you to notice this. Look there in verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Now, they're saved by grace. They have eternal life. They're going to heaven when they die. So this is what God has done for them. But now, he uses what we call the sandwich technique. You know, you 
When you've got to rebuke somebody, you say something really nice about them. And then you slap them a little bit, and then you say something nice about them. So you sandwich it between two wonderful things, you know, the correction. Try this with your kids. It'll work a little bit better. Don't just slap them around. Compliment them. Find something to brag on them about, if it's possible. Now, he says, these people, you were right up there. I mean, as far as any Christian goes, look who you are. Look what you have got. Verse 7, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, until Christ comes back, you have been given and blessed by God to have certain gifts, abilities. God has given you a ministry. And in verse 8, who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you stand before the Lord in His righteousness, you're as righteous, as perfect as God. But God's not going to reward you for the work Christ did or what the Holy Spirit did. He's going to reward you for what you did. So there is a personal accountability. Now, as you go through the book of Corinthians, you'll also see from two different point of views. One is where he addresses the body as a whole. All the believers. But how do you deal with the individuals that make up the body when they're disobedient? You see, a lot of preachers today, they try to correct the disobedience of believers by adding works to the gospel. To get them to commit themselves to live a certain way, turn from their sins. Don't do that anymore. That's bad. And Commit to serving God, and they make that as a bundle package. Now, you've seen these things on TV about, you know, we don't bundle. And they want to bundle everything together. Well, they bundle that into the gospel. It's add-ons. And they confuse the gospel of grace with these works that a man must do. And so it's total confusion. So he says, you correct wrong living by correct doctrine. So in order to help these carnal Christians do right, because you and I have no power, we can't make anybody do right. We can reward. You may chasten, but you can't make a person do right. So they have to understand, what's it going to cost me? What am I going to get out of this? I want you to try to see a little bit about what is the value of one good work? I mean, if you do one good work, how does that affect eternity? Now, getting to heaven is free. doesn't cost you a thing. But did you know the Bible says that God is going to reward you? And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own work. So you have a work that God is going to reward you for. If you only knew the value of just one work, you'd want to take and do as much work as you could for the Lord. But remember who says this. It's God. And He is not going to be outdone. God is going to richly reward you when you get to heaven. And when you think the value of one work, you say, how can you figure out the value of one work? Let's talk a little bit about the value of one sin. Isn't it true that when Christ died on the cross, He paid for all of our sins, right? 
So even though we've trusted Christ as Savior, we have eternal life, we're going to heaven when we die. As a child of God, do you believe that you still commit sins? How many believe that the person beside you is still sinning? Let me see your hands. <laughs> Did you see what they just said about you? <laughs> yes, but see, they don't commit real bad ones. Their sins is not as bad. Remember I preached a sermon years ago, my sins better than yours. But here you are, how bad is just one sin? Just one. When you understand that, you'll know the value of one sin because of the price that has to be paid just for one sin. What is the reward, the value of one reward if you did serve the Lord? If you could figure it out and have some kind of an idea, it maybe could make a difference in your life because I can't make you do right. Some of you know to do right and you still won't do it. You know to live godly, but you still may not be living godly. But I want you to understand what God says. When you think about this, what if a loved one of yours, close friend of yours, died every time you committed a sin? Even a little sin. A little white lie. A thought. Any sin, big or small, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. What can one little sin cost me? I mean, that's not that bad. It's not that big. So don't get excited. Don't get bent out of shape. Don't rock the boat. I mean, it's just one little sin. But it was just one little sin that took him out of the garden, wasn't it? I mean, they didn't commit no murder. They didn't rob a bank. There were no banks. They didn't kill nobody, nobody else. And yet, just because they ate fruit they were not supposed to eat. Out. Now, if a person died for every little bitty sin that you committed, there wouldn't be many people left on the earth, would there? Now, let's take it a little bit further. We often say that Christ died on the cross and paid for all the sin of all the world. But here you are. Let's say that um, you have lived your life for 50 years and you only committed one little bitty sin. Just one. We're really going to strip it all down. And all you did was had a bad thought. One time in your whole life. How bad was that little thought? thought that you had. If it was sin and rebellion to God, how bad was it from God's point of view? Jesus Christ could not let you into heaven. He would still have to come down here and pay for that sin. That little sin that seemed like it has no value to it. It's not that big. Nothing to get excited about. Jesus would have to die. That little sin just cost Jesus Christ his life. Think about it. If that was the only one you did, and he dies for your sin, he had to die for that which you thought was not worth much. The value of it 
is revealed by the price that was willing to be paid because you did it. Now, this being true, and I believe it is, how do we get Christians to discipline themselves? I mean, can I scare you with hell? Threaten you with hell? Can I threaten you that God's going to take away your salvation? You know, that can't happen. So what else can you use? What can you do? Well, I want you to look in verse 11. In verse 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, which are of the house of clothes, that there are contentions among you. In other words, you've got problems. And you're at each other. There's envying going on, jealousy, bickering, all that kind of stuff. What does God want? God wants, in the previous verse, verse 10, to be of the same mind. Or they didn't have the same mind. They were against each other. So how's he going to solve this division problem? Does he try to prove to them that, well, you're not really saved? No, that's not what he said. He says you're carnal. You're not mature. But see, sometimes I don't think Christians understand what you're going to get for one work you do for the Lord. If you could see what God is going to give you because of that one deed. Look what one sin can cost. Look what one work can produce. And then you got a chance to live your whole life. You'd want to do as much as you possibly can for the Lord. So your future is being determined by your obedience to God today. Not your destination. Once you trust Christ, you have eternal life. You're going to heaven. But you're not there yet. But you should because God has sanctified you, made you a saint. Now God wants you to live like one. Not a Saint Bernard, a saint. He wants you to live holy and godly. Now, look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, as he rebukes these carnal Christians, and the point is that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, the the root cause of all of the envy and bitterness and jealousy and all those things that goes on and cause people to be at each other's throat is because somebody wants glory. They want, they want praise, honor, and glory. And if they can't get it, they'll steal it. They want what somebody else has. That makes me look better. Makes me feel better. It's all about me. Glory in the flesh. Now God says, I want you... To realize your whole purpose of life is to glorify the Lord. Bring Him glory. That God gets glory from the way you live. That people are impressed because God is working in your life and through you. You're always to brag upon the Lord. Boast about the Lord. And so that's why he says that no flesh should glory in His presence. Now look in verse 31. Thus, he says, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in who? Glory in the Lord. So in your life, when you're trying to find out what should I do or not do, does it bring glory to God? If it doesn't bring glory to God, maybe you ought not be doing that. Who can make somebody love God? When I stop and think that if Christ had not saved me, I'd be going to hell. 
I'm not going to hell because of what he did for me. So why shouldn't I live the rest of my life for the one who died for me? He gave up so much so that I could have eternal life. And those sins that I think, well, they weren't that bad. You know, I never murdered anybody. I didn't rob a bank. So I'm not as bad as some people. And yet God says there is no difference for all have sinned. So even those little sins, and God does have greater punishment for different kinds of sins. There were some sins in the Old Testament that uh, they, they stoned to death that they did this and this. And some other things just off of this little, you know, a dove or something like that. But there is a statement when he made a statement about Judas. He hath committed the greater sin. It would have been better if he had never been born. Jesus said that. It been better if he had never been born. Because God gave Judas choices just like he gave to everybody. He made wrong decisions. He had an opportunity at walking with Christ, seeing everything, and then turning against it. That was his choice. God didn't make him do that. So, I want you to look there in chapter 2, now in verse 9, where he says, But as it is written, I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Some people are carnally minded. They want to live for the world. This is all they think about it. But God says, if you will seek to please me. He said, now I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, we don't know what all that's going to be. But I would venture to say that what you do for the Lord, it will be worth it all. And the things that you allow in your life, though you don't think it's that bad, how does it look in the eyes of God? Are you doing things that you know you should not do because nobody else either sees or knows or maybe it's, everything's fine with the world? This is a personal thing. Though he addresses the church at Corinth, he also hones in on the individual. That's why it is so important. Look there in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Every man, this is the individual. You see, you can't make everybody work together as a body. Unless individuals make up their own mind. Because you see, it's an individual thing. I'm not yet convinced that God's going to have everybody from Calvary Community Church, would you please stand when we get to heaven? And God blesses us as a group. I, I, I don't find it. Now, he, he might. You know, that choir down there really impressed me. Let's just have that choir stand up and sing for us. I mean, he might do that. I mean, they're so good. But God may bless the individuals in the choir for their individual faithfulness. You think that's possible? Look what he says in verse 8. And every man shall receive his own reward according to what? His own labor. So you're trying to get an individual. You, in a sense, are on your own to make up your own decision. And then when you make up your mind, I'm going to serve the Lord. Somebody else says, I'm going to serve the Lord. Somebody else, I'm going to serve the Lord. So now, let's all serve the Lord together. You'd be surprised the power that could be in a church. 
when everybody's on the same page and wants to do the same thing. They want to glorify Him. They want God to use them to bring praise and so forth to the Lord. Now look in verse 10. The last two lines of verse 10. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Because you see in verse 9 when he says, For we, 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 that's all of us, are labors together. But it's individuals that will get the individual honor, praise, and glory. It's individuals that God's going to reward when you get to heaven. We would probably all serve the Lord greatly if God would just open up the ceiling, give us a view into heaven as of what they are. But He simply tells you it will be worth it all. Can you trust Him? Can you trust God? Let's say, for example, here you are, you gentlemen in here, we'll just say for the men right now. You men, you look around and you see that good-looking blonde bombshell. And you don't know if her clothes are, well, they're so tight, you don't know if she's outside getting in or inside getting out. And it might be that, you know, there's not enough material there to make leggings for a hummingbird. And some of these dresses of none got so short they've hit bottom. And some people would say this is what they call a, a nuclear dress. You know, 50% fallout. <laughs> and you are used by lust. And Now, is whatever that good-looking blonde, whatever she can do for you, however she may satisfy you, is she worth what God has for you? That's going to cost you. That could cost you dearly. Because you see, in heaven, God says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things that we need will be added unto us. Set your affections on things that are above. Set your desires on godly things. Every man has to fight the same battles. Read the Bible and see what great men fell because of the opposite sex. Now you've got to worry about the same sex. <laughs> Well, ain't that true? That's why I, <laughs> I, I'm very careful about this, this hugging business. You know, you, I went to one church and they said, and these, everybody was hugging everybody. <laughs> they come to <laughs> You got to be careful. You got to be careful. I could get lost right here. I could get totally sidetracked. But you need to know that there is a price to pay. You just don't know what it's going to cost you. Every sin that you do, and you know what you're doing, is going to cost you something so much greater than any sin in this world could ever give you. There's nothing in this world that is worth not serving God. But you have to believe that. And it'll help you have restraints upon your life. Look, the longer we live, the more important it becomes to you. Because the longer we live, we realize we ain't got much time left. Just numerically speaking. Somebody said to me the other day, Yankee, you're 74. That's right, it was me. I said that. <laughs> Do you realize that you're going to be 80 soon? And then 90? And 100? I'm not planning on going past 130. I'm going to stop right there. That's as far as I want to go. 
Now, take your Bible and look there in chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found. What's the word? God wants you to be faithful. Now, Paul did not try to convince them, well, that's a sign you really weren't saved. No, he says you're just carnal-minded. You're walking in the flesh. So in order to correct wrong living, you don't change the gospel. You teach correct doctrine. Do you realize that we're going to have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ? So look there very quickly in uh, verse 14 where he says of chapter 3. If any man work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This is when you get to heaven, and God is going to reward you for what you did. You see, works don't get you to heaven. Salvation by grace gets you to heaven. And once you're in heaven, once we get there, God's going to reward us according to what we did for him. And what you receive, it'll blow your mind. That's why he says, Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. So do you love the Lord? That's the key. If you'll love God more than you'll love the opposite sex or the same sex. If you'll love God more than money, more than fame, more than popularity, more than anything. You're going to get so much more rewards when you get to heaven because of it. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Why do you think in the Old Testament when he gave the law, the first two things were, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself? Because that's what it's about. Loving God and in one another. And it'll be a blessing to you. Also, I want you to take your Bible and look in chapter 5. Look in chapter 5. And notice in verse 6. They had people in the church that were rebellious. Some were committing fornication. Now look up here. Listen to me. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. Any kind. It's, it's wrong. Love does not excuse it. It's okay if we love one another. No, it's not. You see, you don't use your reasoning. You don't worry about what the world thinks or what Hollywood says. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. It's ungodly and it's wickedness. The Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. Man and a woman, not two women, not two men, man, woman. And they too shall become one flesh. They can have one child. Two women can't have one. Two men can't have one. Something's wrong with this picture. And some people cannot discern the difference. Don't call lust love. And many of the young people today cannot discern the difference between love and lust. Just because you have the desire for sex doesn't make it right. You can love the wrong things. God says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And then God tells us, husband, love your wives. Wives should be obedient to the husband. There's a place for everything. Fire is good in the fireplace. Put it in the attic, not so good. Burn the whole house down. But some people are like a little mosquito that flies around the flames of the fire. Won't get me, won't get me. And got him. Play with fire, you're going to get what? You're going to get burned. And it's going to cost you. You put the Lord first in everything that you do. Now, I want to cover this very quickly. You'll notice down here in chapter 6. 
He makes a statement in verse 2. Do you not know? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? If that's the case, then why aren't you using some judgment now? Why don't you have some discernment now? Look in verse 3. Know ye not that we shall judge the angels? Did you realize what God... You say, I didn't know that. That's because you didn't read the Bible. It's in the Bible. If God's going to use us to set in judgment, I believe in a certain point, upon those lost that will be standing at the great white throne judgment, why can't we use some judgment now? Why can't you demonstrate a little understanding and clear thought now? But what were Christians doing there? Well, you'll notice what it says there in verse 6. But brother, go up to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. In other words, he says, isn't it better, as he says here in verse 8, nay, ye do wrong. So are there Christians here that are doing wrong to each other? I've had people say, well, when you're really saved, you're not going to want to go out here and do all those bad things. They ought to read the Bible. Because in the Bible... You do have sinful nature, and you still want to do things that are wrong. But notice what it says. You go to law against the unbelievers. Well, what are the unbelievers like? Well, he shows you. Look there in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous, these are the unbelievers, shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Unbelievers won't. Uh, he that be not deceived. Neither are fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, or nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to. That's the works of the flesh. That's the lost person. Cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, why should a Christian go to lost people for their good judgment? To make decisions. To handle and discern right and wrong between two godly people that knows the Lord and loves the Lord. Why can't you just suffer defraud if that's the case? But do right. But do right. So he says there in verse 11. You see, verse 11 and 12 is to the saved. Verse 10, 9 and 10 is to the lost. It's a description. Why should the saved... Go to the lost to try to figure out what to do with their lives. This is why even Christians have to be careful going off to secular colleges and universities trying to find the will of God for their life. Think it through. What do you think a secular university is going to give you? A humanistic philosophy. I'm not going to teach you, thus saith the Lord. Beware of science falsely so-called. The humanistic philosophy of the world. What do you think God wants his people to learn? And who from? The right people doing the right thing. And so in verse 11 it said, And such were some of you, but you're washed, you are sanctified, you're justified. Act like it. Live like it. You're a child of God. Get your information from the Lord. Study the Word of God. A Christian should not live like the world. You can, and nobody can stop you. But your Heavenly Father says He's going to have to chasten you. Discipline you, maybe take you home before your time. Many are sick, many are weak, and some are dead. Wouldn't it be a shame to be put on a shelf and never used? To live 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life and never be used by God. Wouldn't that be a shame? Do you understand the value of a work for God? If we could only understand the value. But the only way we know the value of it is God says, do it. Then it must be valuable. And we ought to understand that sin is a terrible thing, regardless of how small it may be. And that's why you need to understand and guard yourself at all times. That old sinful nature that you had that lives with inside of you, <laughs> you may knock him down today, but he ain't going to stay there. 
Your old sinful nature is mean, ugly, and powerful, and desperately wicked, and who can know it? That's why God tells us these things in His Word. So how do you correct wrong living? By correct doctrine. There's something that God's children are not thinking about. Every child of God will live a godly, holy life if they believe right. When you don't, it's because you're believing something that isn't true. You're listening to a lie of the devil. The devil is deceiving you. He's working on your mind. It's not worth it. Think about the momentary pleasure that you'll have. Nobody will ever know. I can get away with it. And you'll listen to those lies instead of believing the truth. Every one of you that know Christ is saved, you'll live a godly life unless you're believing a lie. But you can't discern the lies and the danger of a lie unless you know the truth. And that's why we study what the Word of God says. So he goes through here and he tells us over and over again about these things that are so very, very important. And uh, I wish I had time to go through all of this that I want to, but I realize that my time is quickly passing away. Look in chapter 10. Chapter 10. And look in verse 31. Whatever, whatever. Verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do it all to whose glory? God should get glory out of your life. And He can get glory out of your life or out of your death. One way or the other. It is important to serve the Lord. God has so much that He wants for you. God says those things that we don't think about, it's not that bad. But does it feed the flesh or does it feed the spirit? Does it make you stronger in the Lord or weaker in the Lord? That's why it's so important. Now, chapter 11. Chapter 11. Well, what do you know? The communion chapter. After all that we've been through, now he's talking about, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember something. I want you to remember what I did for you. And I want you to remember, I'm coming back again. So look what he says here in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke and says, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. This is the Lord's Supper. He's telling these carnal Christians, this is what you should be doing. And this is why you should be doing it. Because it forces you to think about what's going on in your life. Why should I serve God? Understand that the smallest sin that we look over and well, everybody does, that's not that bad. So if that was the only sin I ever committed, Christ would have come in here and that little bitty sin, that little no good for nothing sin, would have cost the life of God's son. Now, how bad is it? That's how bad it is. Something that we just take so lightly. It's not that important. And you'd be surprised how many of us overlook. Set it aside. It doesn't bother me. I'm getting away with it. Because you don't feel the heavy hand of God chastening upon you. And so therefore the heart of man is deceitful. In order to get further down the road thinking nothing happened so far. Nothing's happened so far. I got away with it. Boom! It's all over. 
You cannot live as you please and get away with it. So he makes a statement here in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death to come. This is the purpose of it. It shows this is what you as an individual purpose. I believe Christ died on that cross and paid for my sins. The big ones and the middle-sized ones and even the little bitty ones. And for you and I to be honest and say, Lord, I sinned against you. God says he's faithful and just. He forgives. He's talking to his children now. He's not talking to the lost people. This is to the believers. God only wants his children to partake of the Lord's Supper. And it is a divine command. God expects us to examine our life. To discern your own life. Discern. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Are you living for the Lord? Can you honestly say that whatever I eat, drink, whatever I do, do it all for the glory of the Lord? I want God to get glory from whatever I do. That God would be pleased. As you live your life, you know God's always watching. And you want to do those things that please Him. And that's why He could look over the banister of heaven and He looked down at His Son and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It makes a difference. And as often as you do this, you show the Lord's coming back. Because, see, this is about His death. But why are we doing it? Because He's coming back. He's coming back. So we look back to what he did. We look forward to his coming. And we look inward at ourselves. What needs to be corrected in my life? Now, while I've been talking, has there been little flashes of things going on in your mind where God says, hey, you remember this? You remember this? You remember this? I know what you're doing. Nobody else knows, but I know. Be sure your sin will find you out sooner or later. I'm going to tell on you. You either correct it or I'm going to have to correct it. You can either discipline your life or God's going to have to do it. When I went into service, I found out two things. I could discipline myself or they would give me imposed discipline. Yes, sir. Everything they told me done. But I also learned nothing. Volunteer. <laughs> now look up here. You need to understand it because this is so important. This represents you and me. This represents all of our sins. We've all sinned. Nobody's perfect. We've all done things wrong. But God loves us. Now, He hates our sin, but He loves us. And to pay for that sin is eternal separation from God in hell. So everybody sinned. Everybody's guilty. We're all in the same boat. And nobody can save themselves. We can't alter it. We have no hope. Because our good works can't save us. Because our bad works has condemned us. And so He says, to go to heaven, you have to be perfect as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. Because of sin, see, we can't get in. So God says you cannot save yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. He came into the world. Why? Because He loves us. Hates our sin. Because our sin separates us from Him. So Jesus Christ took all the sin, paid for it on the cross. Now what if you were the only person in the world, and you only committed one little sin? Christ would have had to come and to die, give His life to pay for that sin, because the wages of sin is death, and the soul that sinneth shall die. And everybody sins, everybody dies. So Christ came and paid for our sins, came back from the dead, and said the only thing He wanted us to do to go to heaven is if we'll believe He did it for us. If you believe He paid for all of your sins, and you believe it, He puts that payment to your account. The reason you can't go to hell is because you don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all of them in your place. He did this for you. But he will not make you believe it. 
When I heard this message years ago, I broke down in tears. I sobbed like a baby. I trusted Christ as my Savior that night. I will never forget it. Now, you may not have had no experience. And no, I never jumped, shouted, hooped, and hollered, and kicked my heels together. No lightning bolts striking. No chills running up down my spines. It was a dud. But I knew I was saved because God said so. He said so, and I believed it. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you right now just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died and paid for my sins, and I'm going to trust Him right now as my only hope of going to heaven. Friend, if you'll trust Christ right now, He'll save you right now and give you eternal life. Would you do that? I'm not going to have you forward, but right where you are, I'm going to ask for a raise of hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And you're saying, Preacher, that made sense to me, and I will trust Christ as my Savior. And I'd like to have prayer for you. Would you slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? Yes, God bless you, sir. You can put it down. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just very quickly, slip it up. Anyone else? If you're watching by internet, all that you have to do, it's the only thing you can do is, will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? If you will, we'd love to know. Just click on the screen and say, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. You that already know Christ as your Savior, do right. Serve the Lord. Nobody can make you. Use good judgment. Do everything that you do for the honor of the Lord. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for this time together. And Father, we thank you for the individual indicating by the uplifted hand that he would trust you as Savior. Doing so, he becomes your child. You'll never cast him out, never lose him. We ask now your blessings upon the communion service that we use it for your honor and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.